This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. And welcome to Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXL 1-9-1450-NH-TalkRadio.com, presented by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for individuals with dementia, Alzheimer's, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches. Phone number 224-9111. I am not Paul Hodes, but this guy is. Paul, how are you? <laughs> Hello, Chris Ryan. Gee, you do a pretty good job of imitating the legendary, the iconic... All <laughs> <laughs> the uh, there's there's tone, talking about the just the mellifluous tone, <laughs> the professional delivery. It all comes together in a in a in a, in a wonderful package. It's Chris Ryan talking to Paul Hodes. It's uh, great to be here. I'm slightly remote today. I'm I'm phoning it in, as they say. This is called phoning it in. Well, listen, Chris, on a on a more somber and 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 serious note. Uh, which I know is unusual for me. I, I want to pay tribute to John McCain, um, uh, a, a great statesman, um, a, a, a man who served his country with extraordinary honor, distinction, guts, courage, uh, and uh, straight talk, a man who, uh, who was principled, uh, an example of the best that we produce in this country. And it's, I don't say this because I agreed with almost any of his positions uh, or his policies, but because of who he was and how he lived his life, and especially in these days of rancor and um, tribalism in our politics, when people seem to seek the lowest common denominator, he really uh, exemplified putting country over party because you, whether you agreed with him or not, he was always uh, somebody whose principles you respected. And uh, that is uh, a quality sorely missed in today's politics. And the, the news about how various people in the news reacted or didn't react to his passing uh, should not take away for a moment any of the uh, gratitude that the country has for his service. He had a big impact on New Hampshire. I know that you talked to him a number of times and, and will we'll air a retrospective of a number of your conversations with him on today's show. But, but as we approach these midterm elections and and as we deal with the continuing uh, problems generated from the White House, the, we, we've got to pause and, and thank John McCain for his service and send our condolences 
to his family and friends and to the country uh, because uh, we will miss him. Yeah, when I think about um, where we are in time, you know, my concern is that uh, with the death of this great man, this great American who had you know this tremendous American story of heroism, that um, there is a death of his ideals, and that is the ideal that you can be principled and you can believe in uh, core values. And you know, he voted with quote unquote Donald Trump. Uh, you know, 80% of the time uh, in 2017. But you could put your hand across the aisle and work with Bernie Sanders on reforming the VA. You could put your hand across the aisle and work with Elizabeth Warren. You could put your hand across the aisle and work with Ted Kennedy on immigration because at the end of the day, individuals are sent to Washington, D.C. to accomplish things, not to talk into television cameras about the other person or do radio hits or whatever, or to fundraise, he understood that. And his the overarching uh, aspect of his life was to serve America and to serve the, uh, the idea of America. You look at the individuals who eulogized him, and he reached out, uh, Steve Dupree said, and called uh, both George W. Bush and Barack Obama personally, and um, asked them to eulogize him. The two individuals who defeated him and who he had you know, very cantankerous, uh, animosity-filled campaigns with, these are the individuals he asked to eulogize him. And in death, John McCain is showing how to be big, how to serve the idea of America, and is allowing for other individuals uh, to continue to take the low road. Uh, it's, it's true, uh, and the ideal that he built his life around are really, really important, even more important today than ever before, because those ideals, serving country, country be above self, country above party, working with others, disagreeing without being disagreeable, um, trying to get something done, uh, is uh, is something that is under attack right now in in our from our White House and uh, people are generally I think people are are uh, are are sick of the dysfunction that the lack of those ideals and the lack of statesmanship which we've talked about often uh, mean for our country um, our country was built on ideals. We are striving uh, as a country to reach those ideals. It's a challenge. Uh, it's um, always it's always been a challenge. We've never we're not perfect. We never have been. And the uh, ideals that we hold out that that propelled the foundation of the country, the formation of the country, and the continuation of our democracy are uh, important. Beyond beyond words, they are the underpinnings of of our law, of our government, of everything we do. And um, as I said, while uh, we can we can easily separate policy positions uh, and beliefs from overarching ideals, uh, what what John McCain, many of the things that John McCain uh, voted on, I vehemently disagreed with. But I always admired him for the way 
he held up his principles based on the ideals of what uh, he believed America could be and should be uh, in the world. He always had he he was somebody who was authentic. Uh, straight talk for him was straight talk because it's what he believed in. Famously, there you know he there was a uh, there's a story about his loss in uh, the South Carolina presidential primary to George Bush uh, when he ended up going back to South Carolina to essentially apologize for having taken a position on an issue. And I, I, I have to tell you, I forget what issue. It was the, he, uh, the issue was the, the flag. I believe you're discussing the, um, whether the, flag, the Confederate flag should be flown at the state capitol in South Carolina. But he went back and basically apologized to South Carolina, saying, you know, I took a position during the primary that I didn't really believe in, and I'm here to apologize for uh, not sticking to my principles and to let you know that I know that you knew that I wasn't sticking to my principles, and I, I'm apologizing for it. Now, those were clearly, those were not his words, but that was, in a sense, what he did. And that takes a pretty big man a big person, a truthful, honest, straight-talking person to, to do that in politics. And he clearly loved the rough and tumble and competitiveness of politics, uh, and he wanted it to represent the best of America, and he did in many ways represent the best of what this country is about. Uh, and I say that as an avowed Democrat and somebody who uh, didn't see eye to eye with him on so many things, but I do see eye to eye uh, with him on the ideals of our country and what it and uh, the, and and the concept of statesmanship, the notion of statesmen representing our country in Washington and advancing America's interests. The remarkable thing about the 2008 campaign as compared to the 2016 presidential campaign is that Americans, and I think centrist Americans, found themselves looking at these two candidates and said, you know, I'd be all right with either one of these people being elected. Both are honorable. Both are good people. Uh, both are, shall we say, role models. Um, and you contrast that with 2016, where people looked at the nominees and said, I just don't like these people. Um, and we don't feel that they represent the best of America. And, um, you know, I am hopeful that we go back to a place like the 2008 campaign. But, you know, we we shall see. And uh, we're, again, the ideals of John McCain, of a party that, uh, and a, 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 a political process, a nation that believes in a cause greater than its own self-interest, um, I don't. I I am fearful that his death, in a lot of ways, also represents a a change uh, in regards to those uh, ideals. But uh, we do have a lot with uh, John McCain coming up on the program today, spanning uh, the years from his uh, 2008 primary victory here in New Hampshire to more recent conversations, including uh, one in his office in uh, Washington D.C. My last conversation with him back in uh, 2017 last year. So we'll hear that as well. Paul, enjoy your time out uh, on the coast, and uh, we'll look forward to catching up with you next week. Thanks, Chris, and I look forward to your stimulation of my closing words <laughs> for this segment. 
<clears throat> this is Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on KXL AM and FM, streaming live over the interwebs as well as over your radio dials. And uh, we encourage you to uh, support our sponsor. That is the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for individuals who have dementia, Alzheimer's, or other forms of memory impairment. Call and join a tour. Celebrate life at the Birches. Phone number 224-9111. More of Off the Record with Paul Hodes as we honor the life and legacy of John McCain after this. Welcome back. This is Off the Record without Paul Hodes today. Paul vacationing here on this Labor Day weekend. Off the Record presented by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for individuals with dementia, Alzheimer's, or the forms of memory impairment. Join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches. As we mentioned in the previous segment, we're going to spend this episode of Off the Record honoring the life of an American hero. And in this segment, we're going to play my last interview with Senator McCain from last year down at the Russell Office Building. Here is uh, that conversation on Off the Record with Paul Hodes. We're down in Washington, D.C., and we've talked to John McCain, obviously, many times in the program over the years. But this is the first time we've joined him in his office here in the Russell Office Building. So thanks for, for taking some time to join us. Uh, and this is obviously a very busy time period with all the confirmation hearings going on. And one of the things we've been talking about in the program over the last number of months is the concern about the relationship between uh, Donald Trump and Russia. And obviously, recent reports have uh, added to, uh, to that concern. From your view, uh, do you believe that, that Russia has in some ways co-opted the, the incoming administration? No, I have no information that that's the case. I remain concerned. I believe that uh, the relations with Russia are unclear because the president-elect has made conflicting statements about Russia. I have great confidence in General Mattis, who has a very clear-eyed view, uh, General Kelly, who uh, will be our homeland security. Uh, and so I have confidence in the people around him. But the fact is that uh, Russia tried to interfere with our election. And if they had succeeded, which I don't believe they did, then that would destroy the fundamentals of a democracy. So the attempt by Russia is, must be taking, taken in the most serious fashion. The biggest concern that I have is, is the why factor. Um, and I don't know if, if Congress is going you know, deep enough right now in terms of determining you know, why there was this Russian intervention. What are their long-term goals? Um, is it the, just the destabilization of our democracy, or, or is it something else? Are those questions that you still have as well? And, and how do you think that they need to be appropriately answered, the, the why factor? Oh, I think we have to understand the fundamentals. Uh, Vladimir Putin is a thug and a murderer. Uh, he runs a mafia state, and he wants to restore the Russian Empire. That's why um, he has put such enormous pressure on the Baltic states. That's why he invaded uh, Crimea and now uh, the, uh, uh, the nation of Ukraine. Uh, once, I think it was Kissinger said, Russia with Ukraine is a European country, and without Ukraine is an Asian country. So uh, I have no doubt about who he is, what he is, and what he's trying to do. And the irony of all of this is that three presidents that I know of, um, uh, Clinton, Bush, and, 
and Obama, all three started out, we're going to have a new relationship with Russia. George W. Bush said, I looked into his eyes and saw his soul. Uh, Obama, the reset button. You got to treat this guy for what he is. The same way that Ronald Reagan treated Brezhnev during the Cold War. Peace through strength. Yes, you have a dialogue, but you have a, a military and a doctrine, we call the Reagan Doctrine, that um, made any aggression on the part of the Russians to, that they would pay a penalty that would much, be much higher than the, any benefit they may get from it. You mentioned uh, Generals Kelly and Generals Mattis in regards to how you believe that they have the same or at least an appropriate uh, view on our relationship with Russia uh, in, in your view. The person you did not mention is an individual becoming in front of the Armed Services Committee on Thursday, and that's Rex Tillerson. Um, what do you need to see from him in regards to his stance on, on Russia, in particular, given his, his ties and his relationship? Well, I've had, a, uh, I think, a productive meeting with Mr. Tillerson. Um, he clarified some points to me. I still have concerns. For example, does he support sanctions against Russia? I think that that's a very important question, and that has not been directly answered uh, by him. He is widely respected in the world of finance and the world of, of uh, entrepreneurs, uh, having been the head of one of the world's largest corporations. So I still have concerns, but I haven't made up my mind yet about how I'm going to vote. In regards to Ukraine, um, you embarked along with Senator Graham and, and Klobuchar on a really uh, interesting and important uh, trip to the Ukraine uh, over the uh, New Year's holiday. Um, how would you categorize what the United States level of support has been for the Ukraine? And is that one of your, in terms of your overall um, concerns or agenda items moving forward. Is the, the Ukraine, Russia, the expansion of, of, of Russia back to a, you know, a USSR type uh, spot on the map, um, are those your, your biggest concerns going into this um, uh, upcoming session? I think Russia is a concern. I think China is a concern. This whole area of cyber warfare is, a, is of enormous concern. Um, so uh, the Mideast, of course, continues to be on fire. The legacy of Barack Obama is a world on fire with strains on what we call the New World Order, which was established after the end of World War II, with strains on that New World Order, the likes of which we've never seen. Um, I believe that Vladimir Putin has literally gotten away with murder. One of the leaders of the opposition was Boris Nemtsov. He was murdered in the shadow of the Kremlin. The cameras were disabled, unquote. So um, I believe that the penalty is paid has been none uh, for his, his behavior. The sanctions after the invasion of Crimea hurt him some, but now he has tried to interfere with our election. And frankly, I see no appetite on this administration, the outgoing one, or frankly, the incoming one, to punish Russia to the degree that they need to pay a penalty for what they tried to do. 
Good. Senator John McCain joining us here on uh, Capitol Hill on the New Hampshire Now program, and uh, thank him so much for spending some time uh, with us in what is a busy uh, week, one of the busier days of the year up on, on Capitol Hill. Um, you, you talked a little bit about President Obama's legacy before, and he gave his uh, farewell address in Chicago on uh, Tuesday evening. And, you know, what came across about Barack Obama uh, overly was an individual who, who loved America and I thought tried to do you know, his best to preserve our democracy, carried himself with class and dignity in the Oval Office. And it brought me back to a, a time period in which Barack Obama, um, when you were running against him, there was an effort to demonize him as, as an individual who was an outsider, a Muslim. And, and you, um, you know, took the microphone from a woman who was asking about whether he was a, a, an American or a Muslim and said, you know, he's, he's, he loves America. And, and that, that really it brought me back you know, the eight years to, to that because that came across. And, was, you know, certainly there's the – we could have a, a lot of discussion about his, about his policies, about Aleppo and, and so forth. But, I mean, that seemed to come across more than – than, than anything in his uh, in his remarks. Well, uh, I have to say that uh, he inspired uh, millions of Americans by attaining the presidency of the United States, showing not just to African Americans but to all Americans that it is possible for any American to become president of the United States, and I think that that was very important. But I also saw him. Uh, exercise the office of the presidency in a way which is highly partisan. We're now going back over Obamacare, for example. During the debate on Obamacare and the formulation of Obamacare, there was not one single Republican amendment allowed, not any Republican amendment. I'll never forget, we were down in the White House, a group of Republicans, and I asked him about an aspect of, of health care. I said how he could justify certain aspects. He said, the election is over, John. That was an attitude that he, he described, which I think was not only wrong, but, but clearly a harbinger of him acting and behaving in the way he described. He said, I've got a pen and I've got a phone. Thousands of regulations issued from his office or from his minions. Uh, that had directly impact the lives of, of my fellow Arizonans without us ever having a single bit of input, without any legislative background. Time after time, federal judges have voided regulations that he has issued because they have no basis in law. So the president has left the world on fire. We now have Europe flooded with refugees. 400,000 dead in Syria, 6 million refugees, uh, an assertive China in a way that 10 years ago was unheard of, a Russia that continues to flex its muscles, which are almost non-existent. They're the 15th largest economy in the world, and yet Vladimir Putin is playing us like a violin. So I, I, I think, and also look at uh, at the electoral uh, situation, in 2009, the Democrats had uh, 60 votes in the Senate, overwhelming majority in the House, overwhelming majority of governors, at legislatures, etc. That has completely turned around in the last eight years. And Barack Obama wanted to leave a legacy. He will not leave a legacy. You mentioned a lot during the campaign about 
um, in 2007 to 2000. A violin. So turns about his you know, na- naivety as well as um, a lack of clarity in regards to, to foreign policy. And um, that, I thought, foreshadowed a lot of, of what we saw with, with this administration. I think the president was well-intentioned, um, but I think that um, you know, very often he was in a, a situation where he seemed to be kind of very insulated, and um, in particular on, on foreign policy. Is that you know, his, his legacy to some extent as well? Two points. President came to the presidency. President Obama came to his office by turns about his, you know, na- naivety. America's role, um, a lack of withdrawing from the world, to not being engaged in foreign engagements. A lot of that's understandable, particularly because saw with with the long. I think the president was conflicts in both um, and, and Afghanistan. You know, very often. He was in a was if the United States leadership would draw and um, create a vacuum and bad mm-hmm. things happen. Came specifically one of the most seminal moments was when, after he had said that if Bashar Assad used chemical weapons, it would be a red line. He called Lindsey Graham and me to the Oval Office, said, "Okay, he has crossed the line. I'm going to act," and told us specifics of how he's going to act. A week later, I'm sitting in my office. I see on CNN that. We're not going to do anything. That reverberated, well, for example, Saudis had planes on the runway ready to attack Syria. They found out from CNN. That was a blow to American credibility that we have not recovered from. I think that that's the, I mean, that is the, the biggest um, blemish on his, on his record, is that he created an environment in which the, the rebels in um, in Syria, felt that they were going to have the backing of America, and they took chances with their. How he's going to act? A week later, I'm sitting in my office, and um, when you know the red line was drawn, and it looked like America was going to be helping at some point, and then that uh, that help did not come when the president did not bring his words to fruition. Um, I think that that was, you know, you look at what's happening in Aleppo when the president has addressed that and has addressed that, uh, what he views as being a failure in his administration, and, uh, that seems to be perhaps the biggest in regards to foreign policy. Well, there's so many results of it. For example, the refugee flow. The refugee flow has put strains on the European Union, but also it's given rise to these ultranationalist forces, for example, Le Pen in France, an ultra-nationalist, some, some describe her as uh, even neo-fascist. So there's been these extreme elements that, was, that have come to the fore because of the Address that action and concern of the people of these very seems to be perhaps the biggest in regards to foreign refugees. The Europeans are wonderful people, ample the refugee flow but they're not prepared to take an unending flow of refugees. And that's why you see this, uh, this backlash that's taking place in Europe. And even Ms. Merkel uh, has significant erosion of her popularity amongst the German uh, people. So we're living in a very dangerous world. We haven't even talked about China, Iran. I mean, uh, the peeps my background is an old Navy person, refugees. Nothing got Europeans than when the Iranians captured two of our vessels in gross violation of their to take in law, put them on refugees, sailors on their knees with their hands behind their neck that's taken, and then they release them, and our Secretary of State, John Kerry, thanks the Iranians. 
I version of her get over that amongst the Germans. A lot of those moments during the course of, uh, of this administration. In concluding, I want to look ahead to uh, the inauguration of uh, Donald Trump on, on January the 20th. And I'm going to bring it back to what you described earlier in President Obama's attitude in coming into office with the Democratic majorities. And obviously, Donald Trump finds himself in the same situation. What advice do you give to him and also to your Republican colleagues in how to deal with this majority, given what happened um, at the beginning of, of the president's term? I would look at previous examples of success, and I'd like to use two examples. One is Ronald Reagan, and the other is Bill Clinton. The first thing that Ronald Reagan did when he became president was call up his old Irish drinking buddy, Tip O'Neill, the liberal Massachusetts Democrat Speaker of the House, and they worked together. In fact, one of the major accomplishments was reform of Social Security. And then Bill Clinton, once he became president and took a severe setback in the off-year elections, he, uh, he reached out and started working on a lot of issues in a bipartisan basis, including national security issues. And I think that you would look back at both of those presidencies as having been successful presidencies. Uh, certainly history is judging them very well at the moment. So rather than do what Barack Obama did, and that is just basically because you had majorities in both houses just shut out the Republicans, do a little outreach. My favorite story is that Tip O'Neill used to go over and have drinks with Ronald Reagan, two old Irish guys, tell the same old tired jokes. And when Tip O'Neill was back before the Democrats, one of them stood up and said, why do you go over and have drinks with Ronald Reagan? Why do you do that? And he said, because I like him. Maybe we ought to have a few more people around here that like people and like each other and want to work together. And that can begin at the top. Sure. And in concluding, this is you know a moment in time, just as you know President Obama's election was a, a moment in time um, where America was ready for a change. You were a victim in 2007, as Hillary Clinton was this time around, of a, a, a moment in the country where independents, and a lot of independents in this past election, actually voted for Donald Trump and voted for Barack Obama previous, which was, you know, we can f discuss that for hours about what, why that takes place. But the, it seems that America is ready to change. And if but if that doesn't happen, and if you know, the middle class of America, who we talk about a lot on our program, continue to, um, to think that the individuals at the top and the bottom are the only ones that individuals in Washington, D.C. care about, then um, it seems that this is, another, again, a, a, a wasted opportunity, and it has to start, obviously, early on. Well, I think the stock market is reacting in anticipation of removal a lot of the government regulations, which has hamstrung them in their ability to grow their businesses, particularly small businesses. When, you, when you're dictating how many hours a week some employees can have and then others and all of these myriad of regulations, big companies and corporations can afford smart lawyers. Small businesses are the ones that are the backbone of our economy, whether it be in New Hampshire or whether it be in Arizona. So I think that we have, an, uh, if we would do a re decent tax reform, and reduction of these government regulations, we could see a GDP growth which would be quite impressive, which would then redound to the favor of President-elect Trump. So um, I think the stock market usually acts in anticipation. We're seeing it going up to 20,000 or whatever it is. And so let's hope that we can work together on a bipartisan basis. Finally, could I just say, 
I'm so proud to be chairman of the Armed Services Committee, but, and what I'm proud of that committee is that we work on a bipartisan basis. We work together. We have both uh, New Hampshire senators on the, on the committee who work on a bipartisan basis. I'm sure the incoming senator will. And, uh, and could I finally say, as I always do, how much I love my second favorite state in America, and that's one reason why I was pleased to be on your program to say a lot, say hello to a lot of my old friends. Well, appreciate you joining us. I often refer to you as New Hampshire's third senator, and uh, that's a position that you'll retain for uh, the next uh, six years. And uh, certainly, my best time in politics, um, without question, was in 2007, 2008, on the back of the uh, Straight Talk Express, where you would hold on-the-record sessions um, all day, uh, go in and out of meetings. I've never seen and will never see a candidate who, uh, who worked as hard as, as you did. Well, we would have a, we had a lot of fun, and the town hall meeting is the backbone of politics in New Hampshire. And there are so many funny jokes, but I remember one of Mo Udall's where a guy we can't get through a New Hampshire interview with John McCain without a Mo Udall joke. Concord, I think it was Concord. A guy says, "Hey, what do you think about Mo Udall for president?" He said, "I don't know. I only met him twice." That's one of my favorites. And John Kasich <laughs> was using that exact same line over and over, and he gave you no credit. <laughs> Well, it's, at least I gave him all credit. <laughs> I re really appreciate joining us, and uh, best of luck this session. We'll catch up with you again soon. Thanks again. You're listening to Off the Record with Paul Hodes. I am Chris Ryan filling in for Paul, who is vacationing today here on this Labor Day weekend 2018. Appreciate you joining us for the show and let you know that Off the Record is presented by the Birches at Concord. Welcome back. This is Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXL AM and FM, streaming live over the internet as well at nhtalkradio.com, presented by the Birches at Concord. We continue to honor the life of an American hero, John McCain, who passed away last weekend at the age of 81. He uh, lay in state uh, today, Friday, as we do this program at the U.S. Capitol in Washington, D.C. And uh, this interview I did with Senator McCain, he reflected upon being back in New Hampshire, this from four years ago, and some of his uh, time that he spent uh, here in the Granite State and uh, other topics of conversation as well. Great to be back in New Hampshire on beautiful weather and really have been enjoying my visit. Yeah, love to have you here. And we really think of you as the kind of the individual who fathered the modern town hall. Everybody kind of stands up. They say what they want. They're willing to confront the political candidate. And it's created a, an environment of, I think, um, real accountability amongst politicians uh, as they run for president or run for office here in New Hampshire. Can you talk about the concept at all and, and how it's intriguing to you as a candidate and also kind of how it all got started? Well, in 2000, uh, which now is ancient history, I knew that uh, if I was going to win in New Hampshire, I was going to have to do something different because George W. Bush had all the money and all the organization, and so we embarked on uh, a real long effort, sometimes as many as five town hall meetings in a day. And that really was the formula, and people of New Hampshire always demand to see the candidates up close and personal, but that made it uh, not only uh, something that was important to do, but it's you, you, you just can't not do it in, in New Hampshire. People 
feel that they deserve, and I agree with them. They deserve the kind of contact with a uh, candidate that only a town hall meeting can provide. I love them. I just finished doing one with Scott Brown. We had a great turnout, lots of good questions and comments. So, uh, and I'm going back to Arizona tonight, and I'll be doing one in Arizona tomorrow. So, uh, I, th- I think it's probably one of the only means left of direct communication with the voters. I think foreign policy is a huge issue in this upcoming election, and I'm not sure how much it's going to play with voters, but I think it's incredibly significant uh, moving forward, given where we are as a country and given where the Republican Party is trying to figure out, are we going to be a party of isolationism? Should we be involved and engaged? Um, that's what they're trying to figure out. Where do you see Scott Brown on on foreign policy? He mentioned previously on the program that you know he sees himself as kind of in between you and, and Rand Paul, if you look at the two spectrums of where Republicans are. Well, I think that uh, with the military knowledge and experience that Scott has, I think he's uh, much more, frankly, concerned than maybe some others in the party are. We see this ISIS outfit now with hundreds of millions of dollars, control of area the size of the state of Indiana, uh, succeeding most every place in Iraq and Syria and other places. And by the way, they were driven out of the dam, thank God, but they have made gains in other places as well. So I, I think that as Scott recognizes that an absence of American leadership creates a vacuum and other bad people fill a vacuum, and that's what's happened with this president. I don't think it's an accident that the president's approval rating on foreign policy is down to 36%, uh, and that's not because Americans want us to go intervene everywhere. But they do want Americans and our president to lead. As a independent here in New Hampshire in, in 2008, I thought that we were going to do well with whoever the next president was, whether it's yourself or President Obama. And I thought that President Obama had the ability to be a transformational figure. We were all very familiar with you. And I thought that, you know, looking at President Obama and his ability to be that transformational figure, you look at a particular instance like the situation in Ferguson, Missouri, I think that his being there, his speaking to those people could have quelled this violence. It could have put everything into a better context, and we would not have seen a lot of the bloodshed on the streets there. And his lack of action in this situation has been extremely disappointing. I don't know if he should have gone or not. And I do think that when things are in this, as much turmoil as, as here, that he should at least call a high-level meeting, the attorney general, the director of the FBI, uh, maybe some of the local, you know, like the governor and maybe the mayor, something like that, you know, to try to plot out a strategy. Um, And I I really find it very interesting that the president, uh, particularly with everything that's going on in Iraq, in Syria, and, and, uh, you know, in Israelis and Hamas and everything, that he really doesn't miss a a vacation. I think he's coming back to Washington for a day or two now, but uh, uh, he does seem disengaged to me, I've got to say. It's been somewhat disappointing. I'd say even beyond somewhat uh, disappointing, given what we saw on the ground here in New Hampshire. And I want to ask you as well about about retrospect. It's always dangerous in life, no matter who you are, to, to look back at the past and, and wonder you know, what may have been. But when you're playing cards with, with Steve Dupree one night, do you ever think about, hey, if, if I were in this situation, this is how I would have handled it differently? You know, I try to avoid that because, you know, then you get into mental <laughs> gymnastics, you know, that... 
that uh, is, is really not uh, not particularly healthy. Uh, I try to emphasize the fact that, you know, the summer of 2007, I was done. And, you know, we made a dramatic comeback thanks to the people in New Hampshire and all the good things and the great experiences and all that that I had. You know, if you get in the business mentally of saying, oh, gee, I wish I had not given this speech or I had gone there or done that, you really end up in kind of a mental quagmire that, you know, you can't, you can't relive the past. Final thing, um, obviously you still have a lot of work ahead of you in the United States Senate. You're one of the more more significant political figures in this country. As you move forward, what are the things that you want to to accomplish? You've obviously been very engaged throughout the course of your political career and continue to be in foreign policy, whether it's the situation in Ukraine, whether it's uh, Iraq, obviously. What are the things that you want to see and still want to accomplish that, that keep you going? Well, First of all, I've never seen the world in more turmoil, and I think that's a direct result of a lack of uh, appreciation on the part of the president of the absolute necessity of American leadership. And I understand that Americans are war-weary over Iraq and Afghanistan, but you can exercise influence without sending ground troops. But uh, I, tell you, I think the other issue that uh, is, is really of... Uh, uh, of great concern to me, very frankly, is in my home state of fire and water. We've been in a 14-year drought. 20% of our national forests have been destroyed in the last 10 years by fire. And we are going to really have to make some very, very tough decisions. Water will be more precious than gold in, in many respects uh, in the Southwest. And that's that's one of the issues that I've really uh, paid a, a great deal of attention to. And finally, this whole issue of immigration, as you know, I've been working on reform and all that, but this flood of children, uh, it's got to stop. It just has to stop. And we have to send those children back and arrange for other ways for them to uh, apply for asylum in this country. Uh, But my home state of Arizona, honestly, we are experiencing a period of uh, drought, dry weather, and forest fires that are that is almost unprecedented. I, I would say unprecedented. John McCain here, uh, looking back uh, on his life and uh, legacy. This is Off the Record without uh, Paul Hodes today. I am Chris Ryan. Appreciate you joining us this show presented by the Birches at Concord. Welcome back. This is Off the Record Without Paul Hodes here today here on WKXL AM and FM, streamed live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com. Paul will be back with us next week here on Off the Record, and we've been reflecting on the life and service of John McCain here on the program today. Conversations with him, uh, Reese, my most recent one with him uh, from last year, and also a conversation from 2014 during the last uh, midterm elections, which McCain was in the Granite State, and now having had the privilege to spend hours, days, uh, with John McCain uh, covering him, it's been a real, you know, emotional week, uh, reconnecting with friends from, you know, the campaign, um, a good friend of mine from high school, uh, about um, when I was a volunteer uh, on the McCain campaign in 2000 in New York, Um it's been uh, really interesting uh, to to look back and 
you know, it's been weird uh, doing, listening to all these interviews and watching them. And you can you know, check out uh, past interviews with uh, McCain uh, on our website, nhtalkradio.com, and our Facebook and YouTube uh, channels. Um, in a lot of ways, it's felt like he hasn't died. And then you have kind of this, um, you know, reminder when you see the casket and the flag on top of it, or um, you watch some of the uh, the ceremonies, and I thought um, about going down to to D.C., but um, you know, things that I had to do here in in Concord precluded me from from doing that. I'm not sure I could have uh, made it through that anyway. Um, it's a very special person, and not just that, but um, the idea of John McCain, the cause serving a cause greater than your own self interest, um, holding. First and foremost, above all else, the idea of America. You know, these things are so important and so significant and just cannot die with John McCain. Um, they need to be pushed forward by Republicans and Democrats um, because, first and foremost, it is our country. And if we're going to you know, look for ideolo- ideological purity and um, shift ourselves further to the left and the right, um, as opposed to working together, uh, there's going to be uh, more trouble on the horizon if it is just strictly a pendulum swing from left to right. Um, the violence of that pendulum swing is going to knock a lot of people over. Uh, we need to meet in the middle, and uh, that's John McCain's idea and philosophy, and uh, hopefully one that uh, continues on beyond his death if the idea of America is to um, continue on in itself. It, this is Off the Record with Paul Hodes. I am Chris Ryan filling in for Paul today. Off the Record presented by the Birches at Concord. Thanks so much for taking some time to join us here on WKXL. And you can check out past episodes at nhtalkradio.com.